Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello. Today I am going to be talking with Dr. Cynthia Otto. And she's, um, I think, the founder of the PenVet Working Dog Center. So, Dr. Otto, can you tell my listeners something about yourself and your background? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Um, so, I'm a veterinarian by training, and I have been involved with the search and rescue dogs since about 1993. I spent 15 years as a member of the Pennsylvania Task Force one, which is one of the FEMA urban search and rescue teams. I did not serve as a dog handler, but I was there as a veterinarian to support the, the care and the health of the dogs that were working. As a result of that, I was uh, able to deploy to Hurricane Floyd and also to Ground Zero at 9-11. So it really opened my eyes to what we have as a resource in these dogs, but it also made me ask the question, from my career as a veterinarian and scientist, what can we do more? What don't we know? What, what else is there that we need to know uh, about search and rescue dogs and, and how they work and how they work best? And as a result of all of that, uh, we ended up opening the Penbet Working Dog Center on September 11th of 2012. And this is a, a research and development center where we raise and train dogs for detection work, search and rescue being one of the, the many jobs. Mm -hmm. So um, where is your facility located? We are located um, at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So we're a very urban campus, and we really like that because we get to raise our dogs in an urban environment similar to what they'll be working in. Mm -hmm. And can you tell me about the facility itself? How big is it, and you know, what kind of things do you have there? Sure. We are a relatively small facility, although we keep trying to grow. Um, we have a training area and research center, which is about you know, 8,000 square feet. We have anywhere from 17 to 24 dogs who are at the center. What they do, though, is they come to the center as a school, and they live with fosters uh, on evenings and weekends. So they come every day, and we work with them, we train them. We uh, evaluate them, collect data on, on their performance, and then send them home for the evenings. Uh, we also have a, an agility area and a rubble pile, and, and we have access to some abandoned buildings, which really enhance our uh, search capabilities. Okay, and, and who funds the Working Dog Center? So the Working Dog Center is donor-driven. It's strictly funded by donations, um, grants, and research. So the majority of our funding comes from generous donors who believe in our, our programs. Uh, we do have some state funding to particularly support the search and rescue and the police um, dog work that we do. Uh, and then we do have some, some research grants to try and help answer some of these important questions. And the dogs, the ones that are kind of in residency training there, 
how many dogs do you have at any given time? So the numbers vary. Uh, we start off with dogs at eight weeks of age. So uh, we bring them in. Some of them are donated to us by amazing breeders of, of really superb dogs. And some of them we have bred ourselves. And so we have some we've had some litters at the center. And these dogs will stay with us from the time they're eight weeks until they, what we, we just describe it as graduate, because during the time that they're there, they're learning a lot of foundation or, or really basic skills to allow them to have a career in pretty much any of the detection fields. Um, and as they mature, we figure out what they're best at, and then we help them to really sort of excel in that area. Our graduates uh, include several uh, urban search and rescue dogs, uh, law enforcement, canines. We have uh, single-purpose uh, detection dogs that are working in narcotics, explosives, bed bugs. Uh, we have a dog who will be graduating soon as an arson detection dog. Um, and then we have a whole group of dogs that do medical detection, whether that's uh, ovarian cancer detection or diabetes alert um, or other medical detection areas that we're, we're trying to explore. That's pretty fascinating. How many dogs do you think altogether have gone through the Working Dog Center since it was established? So in those four and a half years that we've been open, we've had um, 54 dogs in the program. Of our graduates, 92% of them have jobs, which we're really proud of. So they've, they've actually found the careers that work for them and that they work well in. Uh, we had one dog released because of medical purposes, and that dog is just a pet. Um, and another dog that uh, is still in the detection world and that he went back to be a hunting dog but is not in, in one of our, our career paths. You know, and I you know, looked at your website, uh, Capable Canine, and I saw you offer a lot of classes. Are those held at the Working Dog Center? We do offer classes, and some of them are held in the Working Dog Center, and some of them we travel for. So some of our first aid classes, some of our Fit to Work, which is our fitness program for dogs, uh, we will go on the road and, and travel, and depending on if we have an organization that is interested in hosting such a class. Uh-huh. And what about, I'm just wondering, you know, I, I don't, I live sort of close to Philadelphia, but not close enough, but what about local um, working dog teams that live in the area? Are they able to use your facility for training? So we do allow the, the Pennsylvania task force to train there, um, and mostly we would be hosting training sessions or training workshops uh, with with local people that we don't really rent out the facilities sort of for general use. Mm-hmm. And I know one of your special areas of interest is canine fitness and conditioning. And I know um, a couple of, as far as physical conditioning, looks like maybe you can broadly categorize things into strength, aerobic, and stretching. Have I got that correct there? We actually, we even go broader than that. So okay. We, we have, you know, and when we think about a fitness plan, we really think about a balanced uh, fitness plan. And, and the aerobic side or the stamina side, or depending on if you're a sled dog, maybe the endurance side, that's, I think a lot of people think of fitness purely as that ability to chase the ball repeatedly or, you know, work for long durations of time in a sort of active um, aerobic capacity. But there's, there's so much more to it, and, and it includes things like flexibility. Uh, it includes 
proprioception, which is a you know a, a big word, but it really it just means the awareness of your body in space. So think of a gymnast and their ability to actually land on a balance beam, um, and so that that awareness of where your body is. We we include that in the dog's overall fitness plan. Balance, um, core strength. Um, those those are all really important parts. There's also a whole mental fitness. Uh, component that we need to be thinking about um, with with our dogs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's kind of interesting when you talked about proprioception. I hiked the first two thirds of the Appalachian Trail this past summer with my dog, and it was interesting to watch how his proprioception skills developed. Um, you know, because he wasn't used to going long distances with a backpack that had his sleeping bag sleeping pad tied on top. So he, you know, eventually learned, okay, what things could he fit underneath or what things would he have to wait till he took his pack off before trying to get underneath. Um, got pretty good at balancing on some, you know, things that uh, I don't think he would have tried to balance on when we started the hike. Um, so we back up, you know, I know one thing with strength would be uh, that I, I see a lot about is core strengthening. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because dogs tend not to normally do exercises that engage their core very often. So we actually have to think about you know, what is the core in a dog? And we're, we're really talking about all of the muscles that support the hips and the, the abdomen and the spine. Those are really our, our core strength muscles. And, and those are also really... Uh, vulnerable areas in the dog for injury. A lot of dogs, just even with aging, you get arthritis in the hips, or they may have a little bit of hip dysplasia to start, or they end up with low back pain, just like people do. And what we're learning is that by really strengthening those support muscles, we can help keep them moving safer and and more active, and hopefully increase the, the longevity and quality of life uh, for these these dogs, whether they're working dogs or just just pet dogs, it's such an important part of, of what we do. But we do have to think about what we are asking them to do in order to engage those core muscles. And if somebody listening says, "Okay, I want to work on my dog's core strength," are there any particular things you recommend, or any reading that you would recommend so they have so people would have an idea what to do with their dog? Yeah, there's a number of different exercises that are out there, and some of them have the potential to cause injury, just like if you went to the gym and started doing things that were kind of beyond your level. So really starting to think about what are the, the, the simple things that I can start doing with my dog to engage core. And, and what we like to think about is uh, low impact, uh, especially when we work with puppies, we definitely don't want repetitive impact um, because that can lead to injury. So starting with some low impact type of work. And one of the the best things to do to get them to uh, engage their core is to have them stand on an unstable surface. Now, that might be as simple as couch cushions on the floor or an inflatable mattress, depending on how inflated it is, where they have to actually stand and hold themselves still while kind of the the world underneath them is moving a little bit. Um, There are other things like wobble boards and inflatable, um, different inflatable like peanuts and things 
But really to start with, you, you really want to start with something that is you know, low impact and is safe. Um, we use peanuts a lot, and people are like, oh, I need, I need this big equipment, but it's probably you know, only for a really limited group of dogs that we're moving to the peanut because there's so many other things that are safer and, and we can do to engage their core. But the unstable surface is probably one of the easiest and safest. Uh, other simple things would be having them crawl under um, a table or under your legs, so actually engaging those muscles as they're crawling. Uh, we like to have them go from a sit to a stand. Now, go ahead and sort of look at your dog and ask them to go from a sit to a stand, and you'll see that most dogs will go to a, a stand by sort of crawling their feet forward or moving their front feet um, and dragging their, their back end up. And really, to engage their core, they have to do it more like a jump squat, um, where their, their front feet stay absolutely still, and they sort of pop up with their back end. And that's a, that's a tough exercise to engage their core. Um, we, we also talk about things like, you know, sit up and bag or sit pretty. Um, in, in our world, we call it chipmunk, because well, our working dogs don't bag. Um, but that's... that's <laughs> That's one that also has the potential, if done wrong, to really cause some back injury. So, again, we want to really think about how we're safely, gradually introducing this type of exercise and building the strength so that they can continue to do these kinds of exercises. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you touched on things to avoid and safety because, you know, the first Border Collie I owned was a, a pet, and we like to joke she came out of the bag fetching because she loved to fetch. She loved to do the Frisbee and, you know, did all those midair catches. But I'm sure we overdid it because by the time she got to be eight or nine, she, you know, got arthritis in her back and, uh, you know, that would flare up and, and kind of limit her activity. Um, and I, I didn't know any better then. I wouldn't do that again. Um, yeah. And the, yeah, the disc fetching stuff is, is so hard on the body. Um, yeah. It really is a lot of impact, a lot of repetitive injury, a lot of, of twisting and landing in very strange, you know, positions. Right. Yeah, and, and it's challenging. So that those dogs in particular really need a planned fitness program to try and sort of minimize the wear and tear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this morning before the talk, I happened to get together with a couple of friends for coffee, and they're both agility dog trainers. So my one friend wanted to ask, her dog recently had a, a problem, like a, I guess it would be a metacarpal strain or wrist strain, and mm-hmm. wanted to know, she says, I hear about core training all the time, but what kind of things can I do to condition and strengthen my dog's peripheral muscles? Yeah, especially you know, if you're looking at the front end, um, walking in sand, that's a really good <laughs> exercise. Um, you may not want them digging in the garden, but digging in a in a box. Um, so the digging activity is going to be good. And then other things where we actually just ask them to build strength by shifting more weight um, onto the front limbs in that in this situation. So you can shift weight onto it by just having them stand on a step with their back end higher than their front end, and so then they're they're actually holding more weight than they normally do. Um, if they're you know, good at that, then you can make that, um, their front feet can stand on something that's a little unstable, like uh, a cushion or something else that would 
make them have to shift weight while they're holding weight. So lots of different little nuances. Again, always thinking about building it slowly, making sure we've got that strength and, and not you know, causing injury in our effort to make them stronger. Yeah, one thing I wonder about, I did see a video online where you were working with your dog and you had kind of this big rubber disc that the dog backed up so their back legs were up in the air and they were on their front end. And I've seen, you know, videos of people who took that beyond that where they taught their dogs to walk on their front legs, which when I look at it, it just looks wrong to me. Is that harmful or dangerous to do that? You know, I don't know. I've never been able to get my dog to do it because his body <laughs> I never is tried. not made to do that. Um, right. I have, you know, I have my dog back up a wall, um, for yeah. what I call a, a handstand. Um, right. But again, it, it just it depends on what you're asking. And if the dog is physically able, I mean, that's a huge amount of core as well as, you know, shoulder yeah. strength. Um, obviously, they're not going to do it if they, they don't have the, the physical structure to do that, and if they are doing it, we want to you know, gradually build duration, just like anything else. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they can they can do it. It it would be a, a matter of you know really paying attention though, and and if there's any evidence that we're causing you know, repetitive injury on those the, the wrists in particular and the and the front end, <clears throat> then <clears throat> then we definitely want to stop or you know, be very very selective as to when we do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that goes on to the aerobic or um, endurance-type training. How much, um, you know, is there, you start slowly and work up, is there um, a limit to how long you should let your dog exercise? Well, I think it's more a matter of where and how they're exercising. And I think if we're having them run, uh, Mm -hmm. it's, Probably more a matter of what are they, what surface are they running on. Uh, we know that to actually get an aerobic workout, dogs have to really actually get to a speed that's faster than most of us running. So mm-hmm. they they need to be you know, with you on a bike or with the the hunting dogs. They always do these ATV roading with the dogs, where they just mm-hmm. you know run alongside the ATVs. And what we're thinking about as far as you know, duration, we want to get at least 20 minutes of that continuous activity in order to get, um, you know, some of the, the, the metabolism changes that were really driving the increased endurance so they, that they're shifting into really efficient use of, of fat because dogs are, are really good fat burners and for their endurance or, uh, you know, endurance I usually think of sled dogs and, you know, four to six hours or more of, of continuous running, but most of our dogs are more stamina or sprinter dogs. Um, so, you know, really thinking about you know, trying to get them to, to go ahead and have that, that level of, of constant speed or, or at least fast enough that they're actually working. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but also maybe mixing it up. And, and we're really kind of interested in what happens if you, you do a little interval training with them. You know, if you sprint a little bit and then go back to that steady, fast pace. Um, you know, so those are areas that, that we're we're still learning. Um, I think that the alternatives would be swimming is great for dogs. Uh, as far as a cardiovascular exercise, it's not necessarily that good as a balanced body exercise because some dogs don't use their back end to swim. Um, and, you know, some dogs are really sloppy swimmers. But as far as cardiovascular, it's a really good workout. 
that also raises the, the whole question about treadmills. Now, are treadmills good for dogs? And treadmills can be great, but they also can be really bad if you're using the wrong treadmill. Um, you know, I've, I've seen plenty of videos of people really happy that their dogs are on a treadmill, but it's a human treadmill, and they're, they're short striding. So they're ending up with this short, choppy gait, which is actually not good for their, their muscles um, and the engagement there. And so you really want to make sure that they're able to have that full, nice trot gait or even a little bit faster. But most of the time on the treadmill, we keep them at a, at a fast trot. Mm-hmm. What about um, stretching? Any particular pointers about that? Well, I think any time that we're going to do any kind of a, an exercise program, first of all, we have to warm up. Um, we definitely want our dog to be warmed up. And I think um, we're notorious for this in the agility world and search world, the police world. You know, we, we race to wherever we're going. The dog's been kind of cooped up. We pull them out and instantly, there we are, we're off. And we're doing this full-blown activity. So I think the first thing we do is, is a warm-up. And it doesn't need to be extensive, you know, five to ten minutes of a, an active trot, some a little bit of obedience, some sits and downs, some spins in there to, to kind of get things moving, you know, massage their muscles, get them, get them really so that they've got blood flow and, and the muscles are, are, are lubricated and, and they're not going to be so stiff that once we you know, start doing this explosive uh, speed or a jump or something that we have that risk of tearing. But once we are warmed up, that's when the, the, the stretching comes in. And, and I'm a big proponent of active stretches. So I don't actually physically maneuver my dog's limbs around, but I, I have them move in the, in the directions to kind of lubricate things. So figure eight around my legs is a great way to get their sides and their neck started to, to kind of loosen up. So having them do those tight turns. Um, doing a play bow, just like most dogs will do when they wake up, you know, a nice stretch. Um, and then they'll, you know, have them lean forward so we're stretching those hip flexors. The, the iliopsoas has really gotten a lot of notoriety as being a, a muscle that's injured, in particular our agility dogs. Um, and so by having them stretch that, by you know, having their back feet out behind them and having them you know, stretch forward um, is one way to do it. Having their front feet up on an elevated surface and kind of stretch forward that way also is another really good way to stretch their lower back and their iliopsoas. Um, so we want to think about, you know, stretching side to side, stretching back to front, um, and just getting those muscles so that they're they're warmed up, but we definitely don't want to overstretch, um, and that's a big risk if we're actually physically manipulating our dog. And another question that my friend came up with is, you know, let's say you're doing something with your dog where they're going to have to, you know, be out a long time. Let's say you're on a long search mission. And, you know, you stop, you take a rest, you make sure your dog's hydrated. Um, is there anything particular you should give them um, for a snack? You know, like they sell for people those things that are little packets that are glucose or you can buy an energy bar. But is there any particular thing that um, a dog should get as a snack on a long run? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. And there is a lot of work that's been done looking at this snacking with dogs. Um, because that is potentially something that we need to be thinking about. And, and the question is, what's, what's the best snack? And it really depends on who you talk to. Um, but I think 
know, even just a, a little bit of their kibble might be something to start. We know that as they're going for longer and longer durations, they're burning fat. So we do want to have something that's got some fat in it. Um, there are a few of the, you know, the the energy bars made for dogs, um, and those might, you know, those might be an option. It really depends on what the components of that. Dogs do burn some carbohydrates. They're not huge carbohydrate burners, um, but a little bit's probably, you know, going to help with, a, you know, that, that instant energy, especially if you're dealing with a sprint dog. Those guys are going to be burning more carbohydrates than fat. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked a lot now about the physical condition. Um, do you have any thoughts on mental conditioning for a working dog? <laughs> Well, I think mental conditioning is actually really part of the fun part of training, and especially as the weather is getting worse and it's harder to get outside. Um, a lot of the mental conditioning is just learning new things, and that is a really you know, a fun part of what we do. It builds the bond um, with the handler, but it also really sort of builds the, the learning capability. So the more new things that a dog learns, the, the more likely they are to learn more new things. So it really does give them some of that independent thought. Um, I am a big fan of clicker training. Um, I love to do some free shaping where I just throw a bunch of things on the floor and you know see what my dog does with them and start sort of letting him choose what behavior and rewarding the ones that I like so that I can you know, keep building that more and more or coming up with you know something new to, to try and learn um, or just just as something to exercise their brain. And, and what we find is that the dogs oftentimes are more tired um, after a you know, 10 or 15-minute learning session than they are after a 30-minute running session. So it's, it's, it's helpful when you're homebound. Yeah, I think it's definitely true. I don't know. Um, one of my earlier podcasts, I interviewed a couple of people, one who was a trick dog training person and another one who did canine freestyle and it was really pretty interesting, um, you know, some thoughts on those kinds of mental, the mental work that goes into training those things. Yeah, I actually am a trick dog instructor as well, and it, it really inspired a lot of what we do with our fitness because it's, um, you know, it, it's, everything is really just a trick. Um, some mm-hmm. of those tricks are more, are more useful than others, so. Yeah. Um, I mean, one, because I know under your website, when you talk about general dog training, you talk about distance work. And I found, you know, doing, learning from the trick dog trainers really helped me with that because I wasn't as successful with my first dog as I was with my second dog in getting getting him to work away from me. And it was yeah, my, I mean, my the learning. Pedest- the pedestal work is really helpful yeah. for the distance learning. Definitely yeah. very, very, very helpful. And I'm just going to tell you, you know, um, I'm sure you know people who train dogs are always looking for different gizmos and gears. And one of the, my serendipitous finds that really worked great for getting my dog to go out, you know, you want to send your dog to a target. But I had bought this um, thing when you back up in your car in the drive, into the garage and you tap it, a little light would go on so that you know you backed in far enough. And I ended up never using it because um, once then I still had to move it to open the tailgate of my car, but I shortened it so that the thing was at my dog's nose level, and it was great because I would know if he went all the way out and touched it because the light would light up. And oh, that's was, awesome. That's a like great, a $12 great Amazon find. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it was a, a really fun thing. 
So, and I know you, you know, part of your mission is research. Are there any particular areas of research you focused on? Um, well, we are we are definitely looking at the, the different effects of you know, exercise and, and how do we keep dogs exercising safely, whether it's through nutrition or hydration or how does exercise influence their performance um, in their olfaction. Uh, those are big areas that we're interested in. I think one of the other areas that has gotten a lot of attention is uh, the work that we're doing with dogs being able to detect ovarian cancer in blood samples. Uh, and that's really, you know, potentially hoping that it translates into a, a new way to screen uh, women for ovarian cancer, which yeah, certainly there is no screening. Right, it's such a hard thing to detect. Maybe yeah. you can work on pancreatic cancer too, another one that... Uh, by the time it gets diagnosed, is pretty advanced often. Yeah, absolutely. That is definitely on our radar of, of those. You know, there is no early screening, and there's you know nothing that, that's being done that that can really help at this point. And and hopefully the dogs can give us some insights into new ways to approach it. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a great interview. Is there anything I forgot to ask you that you want to add for my listeners? Well, I think that you know, go to our website www. 10vetwdc.org um, and follow us on Facebook and see what we're doing and, and come learn more. All right. Thanks. I appreciate talking to you. So now I'm gonna Now I'm going to hit that end button so the recording will stop, but we can still talk. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.